Let's attend ourselves to the reading of God's Word, Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 17. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, and to the praise of His glory, and for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I ask for the grace of the Holy Spirit for both me and those who hear me. I pray you would forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for there are so many. And we ask, Father, to see Jesus. Amen. The gospel of salvation. Two words that I think are already either prepackaged, you already know what they mean, you think you do, or maybe imagine you do. I suspect you may not. I don't know. I have no way of knowing. And, uh, and so a gospel of our salvation. You know what it reminds me of? I don't know, was this ever in, uh, here in San Francisco, those who, who grew up here? Um, uh, Jesus saves in neon. Was that ever anywhere on the landscape? Well, it was at one point, wasn't it? I, I've never seen it in this city. In, in Atlanta, uh, there, you know, as, as I-75, uh, 85 would curve through the, the, the belly of the city, as you went around this one curve, you could see it clears in red neon, vertical. Jesus saves. In a downtown church. And, uh, and uh, I think many downtown, I bet you that was probably a feature of every downtown in America at one point. There was probably somewhere, somehow you would see uh, that proclaimed, Jesus saves. Now that, that, you know, it's funny, that's probably one of the early memes, one of the early kind of viral memes that our culture would have gotten around and understood. And, and anybody could have walked by. A guy on the street, a guy driving by, an older woman, a younger girl, and they go, I know who Jesus is, and he's saved. They, they, they would recognize those words as, as having meaning in their context. But guys, we're, we're, we're not there anymore. <laughs> we just ain't there. And really, what the, I, I remember this idea that my son, who's... who's um, who's studying uh, anthropology, he, he, what anthropologists call artifacts. You know what artifacts are? It's a wonderful kind of concept, interesting concept. Artifacts, what they are, are in, the, in our culture are little statements or, or ideas or practices that are still there. You can still see them sometimes. You may, many people have heard that expression, Jesus says, perhaps. But it is empty of all meaning. It's merely an artifact. It just sits there. It kind of lingers there in the, the public consciousness. And it's some kind of experience. And, yeah, that, and that's, I think, pretty much what Jesus saves would mean to us nowadays. I even remember it being a punchline and a joke about Jesus saving his material and word. Seriously. I mean, that's Jesus saying. Silly. But I, I, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking... Honestly, of some of the old-time preachers, and some of the, I was thinking of the places that came from. You know where that really came from historically? A movement of God's grace. There were men of God out preaching that Jesus saved sinners. 
And they were preaching their heart out about it. And God heard. People heard. And our culture was shaped by that old-time religion. Old-time preaching. The old-time message. I love to tell the story. You know, even that song comes right out of those cultural movements. I love to tell the story. The gospel of salvation. And I, I guess I, what I, my, my heart is, is, to, is not merely to revive an old Americana. You know, I'm not interested in that. What I, my, my heart is, is that, oh, Father, oh, Father, oh, Father, by the Holy Spirit, give me the authority, the, the power, the clarity, all of us the clarity to say, to shout, to, to speak, to tell people, Jesus saves. And give people the power to hear it. Jesus saves. Praise him. So I, I was thinking about the salvation story here. And that's what I want to, to unlook here. I'm praying tonight for something better, something different, something new and powerful, because our God is the living God. I don't want an artifact. I don't want a meme. I don't want a catchphrase. So the thesis tonight is, what is salvation? That's what we're going to look at. What is gospel of salvation? What does it mean? What is the gospel of salvation? What is that? And those are two words that are probably could easily be misunderstood or, or barely understood. And so uh, I'm hoping tonight that, that we'll, we'll be able to do that. And I'm going to say this. What is the gospel of salvation? I'm going to have a short definition for it of what its message is. And that's going to be it, this. In short, this, it is this saying that the Bible says deserves full acceptance. This is the gospel of salvation. Jesus came to save sinners. Even the worst sorts of sinners. It is the holiest and best of truths. Jesus saved. Praise him. <laughs> That's it. Now I guess I could close my Bible and you could all be thank God for the shortest sermon you ever heard. But that's not going to happen. You know that's not going to happen. My outline's really, 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 really... It's going to make you wish I wasn't an English major is what it's going to do. Uh, my outline is very simple. I want to stand on the syntax. Stand on the syntax of this verse. I want to, I want, I'm hoping that we will double down on our definitions. And finally, finally, uh, we will uh, pursue. We will be pursuing. We will pursue the personal pronouns for ourselves. So, we, uh, so that's, that's, my, that's, my, uh, that's my outline to punish you with tonight. But we must stand on the syntax. Stand on the syntax. Uh, let me tell you, you know, I'd like to give you words that, so you can go and, you, you can go and impress girls at school, Luke. Um, handiades. It won't, uh, it won't work, but you can try. Handiades. Handiades. It's a grammatical structure. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but once I, once I parse it out for you, hen, it's the word one. Dia means through, and dis means two. One through two. Expressing one idea through two words or two clauses. Handiades. It happens all the time in the Bible. And, and often Paul has a wonderful way of doing it in order to advance an idea as he's developing an idea to explode it out, to expand it. That's exactly what he's doing here. But what's the handiades, this, this grammatical syntax that's going to invite us into knowledge? Well, it's right here. It's, it's right in these two phrases. The gospel of, he says, I'm sorry, let's begin here in 13, beginning of verse 13. In him you also, when you heard... The word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. That's a hendidis. You see that? The word of truth, gospel of your salvation, they're the same thing. They, they, they are, no, they're not, they're not identically the same, but they're a way of saying the same thing. Both those truths affirm each other and create one truth, right? The gospel. Now, I think that he's, um, it's, this, it's this formal syntactical structure that invites us to stand on the word of God. And that is, I'm saying stand on the syntax. Standing on the word of God is what? Standing on the gospel of our salvation. It's the same thing. You can't divorce the two. And, and, and there has been a program in our generation and the church in this age to say, oh, no, we can know about saving, but we don't have to worry about our Bibles. We don't have to read our Bibles. Or we can, we can talk about the good part, stuff of God wants for us, but we don't, let's not get serious. That Bible's kind of scary. Have nothing to do with this falsehood. For this seeks to divide that verse, doesn't it? It wants to take, it wants to divide those things from each other. And say, oh, wait, the gospel's about the, the kernel or the heart of God's love. But the, the words, don't worry about the words. This is so far from the heart of the apostle and the heart of God and the heart of Jesus, it couldn't be further. In fact, an attempt to separate the Bible from the gospel is a satanic ploy, I believe, in this generation. To get men and women talking about the gospel, but not talking about the word of God. I think that's kind of sad. But I want you to invite you, though, into what this must mean. Because we already talked, last week it was kind of fun to talk about God being a talker. God's a talker. And, is that last week? I think it was. And, um, and, uh, and one of the things we say about the Bible, it's infallible. We can't be wrong. It is inerrant. It has no errors. It's, the gospel of my salvation is infallible. The gospel of your salvation is inerrant. Ooh, it gets good. I mean, start pulling it out. Just start opening it up. Open up the treasure chest that, that, that Paul's presenting to you here. The Bible is about the gospel. And the gospel is the Bible. It's, it's the word of truth. It's the word of scripture. And the reason I, I think it's kind of exciting this, the way this is, is, is it really is inviting us. It's inviting us to, to stand on the syntax in our convictions. And what's this beautiful message? Jesus loves sinners. He came to save sinners. Even the very worst kind of sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me. Jesus saves. Praise him. <laughs> so you see that the combo there is meant to get, it's made, it really gets your attention. It's arresting. And Paul's thinking is grounded in it. You know, what I was reminded of was, um, I, I have a business idea about buy, a buy for Bible cozies. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if anybody has Bible cozies anymore. I mean, maybe it could be a Kindle cozy with your Bible in the Kindle. I don't know. I have an idea for Bible cozies. And on the on the front of the Bible, in big friendly letters, is the, are the words "Don't panic." Big don't panic. Now Jack knows the reference I'm making here, and the reference I'm making is to a piece of modern fiction called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and it's tongue-in-cheek. It's meant to be funny. It's meant to be, make fun of humanity, make fun of meaning, make fun of God. Oh, he, is all, he, take, he takes a shot at everybody in that book. But I love the idea that there would be a book that its one message to me would be, don't be afraid. Oh, wait a second. 
That's the most frequent command in the scripture, the word of truth. And of course it is, because the scripture and the gospel of salvation are the same thing. And what are they? Jesus came to save sinners. I mean, the ugliest kinds of sinners, like you and me. Jesus say. Now, what I, I, I guess in, I, this idea of standing on the Bible, standing on, and, and trusting this book we can call The Sinner's Guide to Eternity, not The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Sinner's Guide to Eternity, reminds me of something. Standing on the gospel. Standing. I mean, isn't there a great, there's a standing on the promises. What's the, what's, there's, a, there's some hymns about this, about standing. Uh, I've, I've been climbing most of my life, most of my, more than, I've climbed longer than I've, I have in my life. I've climbed, uh, climbed the Yosemite, I've climbed bold, well, I was never that bold. But do you know that in climbing, you would all think my, people often think that people, men who climb would have enormous arms, enormous, you know, enormous muscles and everything, but that's really not the case. You really can't, your hands are never strong enough, never strong enough to, to, to climb. Your hands are too weak for climbing. Do you know how you climb? Climb your feet. Your feet are powerful. Your legs, muscles, are so much more powerful. I mean, you could press hundreds of pounds with your legs. You can barely do that. You barely lift it over your head with your arms. It's your legs that are powerful. And I love this idea that, that well, in climbing, as you get better, as you increase, at the ver- I'm talking to the top. I'm talking to guys I knew who were the very best climbers in the world. And they, what they say? I'm always working on my footwork. Because if you can get your foot in the right position, in the right way, pushing the right pressure, you can climb just about anything. It's amazing. So it is, trusting the Word of God. Learn to put your feet in the Word of God. Learn, learn your footwork. You're going to get better with Jesus. You're going to be better at understanding the good news that Jesus loves sinners when your footwork gets better. And your footwork is what? The ways you lean on the Bible, the ways you stand on it, the places you stand, the way you're standing on it tonight, the way I'm trying to stand on it. And that's that. I'm going to invite us into this. Improve your footwork. (laughs) Improve your footwork and stand on on this syntax because you are being offered a promise that Jesus' love for sinners is as sure as the voice of the Almighty and the inerrant Word of God. Praise Him without hand. Why would he speak a word of love to people like us? Well, for the glory of his son. And he has done so. And this is the message tonight. You know, I, I guess, you know, I'm teaching, I want to teach you, I want to encourage you to trust the word of God and to trust the gospel of salvation. It is truth. And it will reward a constant investigation. <laughs> It will reward a constant investigation into the word of truth and how it is the gospel, and your footwork will get better and better. You'll be standing more firmly. And you know this trick is funny. The climber's an old trick. If you know how to position your feet and push, your reach extends so much further. It's just the way it is. So it is in spirituality, too. Stand on the promises. Stand on the truth of the gospel because it is the truth of the inerrant word of God. Praise him. But it will always, and it will reward your constant, relentless investigation and investment into it. You know, and I, and I always get this, I'll get into it later. I always get frustrated trying to get Christians to read the Bible. They're so lazy about it. Uh, but 
Let's continue. Let's, we must double down on the definitions. We must double down on the definitions. What do these words mean? Gospel. Gospel, ooh, that's, that's, not, that's not an easy one. Eh? Gospel goes back to the Middle English, and, and uh, it actually meant God's spell. And it's the word spell in, in, in ancient language, ancient usage, and all the way back to uh, uh, the Norse languages, means to, 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 uh, to speak. It just means to speak. It just means to tell or to, or to declare something. To declare with your words. And we get a word spelling from it and stuff like that. Or even to cast a spell, and that, that comes out of it too. But, but God's spell, God's story, God's report, God's words. Well, that's an interesting adaptation. Gospel is not a Bible word, it's an English word. And it's not in the Bible, it's actually an English word. And by God's grace, you, do you realize what my first point was? The word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. Well, then, then picking that word, God's word, God's spell, was a great way to describe the gospel. Unfortunately, it just isn't in the Greek. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the original language. What is the original language? What is the, does anybody remember? Evangel, you know the evangelical? That's where we get that word from. Euangelion, euangelion. And evangelical is a, is a, is a form of that in our modern, in our modern parlance. It's, it's the way it's, it's devolved uh, from euangelion to evangelistic. What does it mean? Eu means good. Euthanasia means a good death. That's all that means. The eu prefix says something is good. And, and then angelos, it means uh, angel or message to the, to the ancients. But even there, I haven't touched this yet. You will not understand this word because none of you are first century Romans. <laughs> all right. Because we've got to hear it. Everybody knew what a euangelium was. In fact, the kids probably wait for one. Because you know what a euangelium was? It meant victory. It was always the announcement of triumph. Somebody run, and you know why people did it? Because if you brought an announcement of triumph as the tailbringer to a city or to a town or to a people, they would often award you, reward you for bringing good news. And in fact, <laughs> funny enough, of course, some people figured out that that was a scam, too. <laughs> Come and deliver good news so they can get some, some good stuff. And, of course, the, other, the opposite was also true. Uh, if you brought bad news, sometimes that meant the negative response was taken out on you as well. But the ancients, the Romans, they knew all because ancient Rome was built as a fascist state. It's as fascist as they come. They were, they were all about taking over another, annexing another place. And, and it was the way they grew. It was the way they flourished. It was the way they did business. So, of course, euangelion meant a bunch of things. It meant money coming. It meant things were getting better. It meant that we were winning. We're the winners. We're Romans. You know, which is kind of funny. I never thought about this, but... There always had to be somebody in one of those Roman cities that had been conquered who when the Euangelion would come in, they'd just go, oh, no, not again. I don't want to hear about this. Because they would hate the Romans. A lot of people hated the Romans. But this word always communicates the triumph of a conqueror. That's important, isn't it? If we're going to understand the gospel of our salvation, the Euangelion of our salvation. Let's look at the next word. Salvation. i got to read this. This is too much. I typed up my notes just so I could read this. Because I can't read my own handwriting when I read something like this. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, which I am so happy to have access to. By the way, the San Francisco Public Library will give you access to the OED, just so you know, online. 
I think I, I could read it just for fun. Okay, I do. The OE, I remember I said I was an English major. This is what English majors do. We get excited about words. All right. OED, this is actually the definition of, of salvation in the Oxford English Dictionary. The deliverance from sin and its consequences and admission to eternal bliss wrought for man by the atonement of Christ. Wow. There's a lot of librarians who are going to be under judgment who have read that and not believed it. Because that is about as clear a picture of the gospel as I've ever heard in, a, in an academic uh, setting. There's a lot of librarians, a lot of, a lot of people who have read, the, who, like to, who like to study words, who will be accountable for that definition. That's a very clear definition. Actually, I, read, I had to include this. One of the earliest uses of the word salvation, salvation, now they said it, salvation, I'll try to say it as they did, was from Pierce Plowman. Do you ever remember that's, that? That's one of the most early, 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 uh, it's, it's almost uh, Middle English. It's hard, hard to read for us. This is the line. Sorrow for sinners is salvation of solas. Sorrow for sin is the salvation of souls. And that was in 1377. About as true now as it was then. <laughs> and you better believe it. Anyway, I, I love that. I, just love, I love that little quote. But, 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 what, is, but what is this? Um, what is salvation? So this is a soter word from the Greek. It's the meta word. It's the big word. It's the biggest word in the Bible to describe everything Jesus did. And that can make it a really hard word to define. Because salvation very blandly means it's a rescue. But think of salvation as the meta word, and under it is redemption, justification, adoption, glorification. All these other words are all under it. And salvation is the meta word that tries to capture everything that God has done. And then the other words are, are more specific. And they have a more specific content. Justification is a very specific content. Salvation doesn't. It's more generic. So it makes a good meta word, right? It has a generic flavor. And even though it's an umbrella word that covers all these other terms, it still has a very powerful application for us. Now, what I want you to observe about all of these, all of these, uh, these both of these words, gospel and salvation, is that they have a negative aspect and they have a positive. In other words, they, they imply, or not just imply, well, I guess they imply it. They imply a privation of some sort, some lack. And they speak of some, of some addition, some growth, some, some enlargement. What do I mean here? Good news implies there's bad news. And salvation implies being saved from and also being saved to or for something. So the, both of the words kind of carry this almost like a negative import and a, and a positive one. So let's go through them. Good news implies bad news. Now, bad, bad news. I, how, I don't know. If I were to ask you, Ted, I got good news and bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? What's your, you would say we would hear bad first. Joyce, which one? Bad. Anybody want to hear good news first? Anybody? You do? All right. Tal wants to. No, it's funny. I, I, okay. And my sister wants to. And I, I, I'll tell you, it's funny. I think it's just taste. You know, some of us have a taste that we, we'd rather be braced. Some of us want to hear the bad stuff first just because they don't want to get it over with. Some of us want to hear the encouragement. But I don't think it's a matter of taste with God. You have to hear the bad news to get to the good news. You have to. And what's the bad news? Our ruin. 
our sin, our wretchedness. News! I was trying to think of a way to, to punch into that idea. And, 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 I, and I hope so much that you need to hear the bad news in order to delight in the good news. You know, it's, but there's a, you know, news, news. I was looking at, I was looking at the Bible. I, don't, I couldn't find fake news. Anybody? I couldn't find fake news in the Bible. And then I found it. I found it. I, I'm serious. I found it clear as a bell. And God talks about fake news. Um, you know, it is the, uh, I'll get to that in a second. It is the, uh, you know, you can't even listen to anybody, right, left, progressive, uh, conservative, where they are not pointing the finger at somebody else. That's fake news. Or, that's fake news. And that's fake news. And that's fake news. How do you know? Who's telling you the truth anymore? It's really, I'm not just saying that, guys. This is really scary sometimes. If you focus on it. You know what? God, God kind of settled all this for me. I'm, I feel in a really good place about this. Because God said, you're all fake news. That's what he said. He said, all men are liars. All men are liars. And that wasn't a statement by uh, a girl who got dumped and got angry. Well, all men are liars. No. It may be true, but that's not what it's being said. It's being said by God about all humanity. You know what God says when he looks at you and me? Fake news! That's who we are. When I heard that, I get so, I get so relieved. I get so relieved because I'm like, oh yeah, it's all fake. Oh yeah, I know where to turn now. To my Father, who has never lied nor can lie. Praise and the fact that he can't lie, the fact that it is impossible for him to lie, the fact that the universe would have to rip apart at an atomic level for the God who holds it together to be other than what he is. Well, that means that you can take it to the bank that Jesus loves sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. I mean, the dirty sinners. Like you and me. Praise him. Jesus saved. I mean, I mean, it's just, it just plows through all this stuff. I just, I'm so relieved. I, I don't know any allegiance to any pundit or any politician or any party or anything. Because only my father has the truth. And I trust him. <laughs> I don't know, there's something about that. If we hear, but if we hear the bad news, then we're ready to hear the good news. And that good news is that he, he looked at us and said, Joyce, you're fake news. I'm tired of it. Let me give you some good news in response. What's his response? It's grace, right? His response is grace. <laughs> um, let's look at salvation now. We, if, salvation implies being saved from something as well as being saved for something. Saved from what? Saved for what? That's the first question. You know, well, are you saved, saved, from, oh, well, saved from what? But can you hear how the question's wrong? Can you hear how the question doesn't hit it? You shouldn't be asking from what. You should be asking from who. And what you should be saying, you'd be saying to who. To whom. Yeah, to whom. <laughs> you get what I'm saying here? It's not an abstraction. This is about the personal living God. And the reality is we are saved from him and saved from his wrath. We're, 
It's such an odd thing, and a lot of times people don't really get this with Christianity. It's such a, you know, hit you between the eyes. But, but the God the Father at the cross puts out his hand and says, give me payment for the sinners who, do, who have sinned against me. I will accept only the blood of my son. And he accepts it. You know, I want to be saved from a God. If he would do that, if he would sacrifice his own son, that's terrifying. I, 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 want, to, I want to be right with him. <laughs> I want to be saved from him. Yeah. But I also want to be saved for him, to him, to him and his love and his blessings. His joy. You know, we sing this all the time. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace teaches you to fear God. And what then was, what does grace do next? Once you realize you're saved from something, what does it do next? And grace, my fears, really. And this fear that Isaac, is it, was it Top Lady or Watts? Watts, who rang? Watts, right? It's Watts, right? Um, I don't know why that's still in my head. Top Lady, something else. Watts, well, I know, Watts, what Watts meant was the fear of God, not fear of, like, life or how hard it might get or suffering. Oh! <laughs> oh, no, 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 no! Grace taught us to fear the Lord. We need to be saved from his wrath and his anger and his judgment, for he is coming to judge the world. It is who he is. He is the judge. I want to save for him, <laughs> to him. <laughs> There's something exciting about that. This is a gospel of salvation that we're saved for. I want, and this is what I want to capture. Uh, all right, it's going to be a long message. It, it, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'll, I'll try to cut it short, but I've got to share this with you. Because um, I, when I heard it, it really affected me. And in Hebrews 2, I'm going to turn there right now. In Hebrews 2, um, I was listening to a sermon by Donald Gray Barnhouse, and and if you want to, you want to really be fed. I encourage you to do, do the same. But but uh, but uh, this 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 I never heard this before. I never heard this teaching before. Not not put it put like this. And in, in Hebrews, it's it. Um, oh, it's not well, Where is it here? Yeah, Hebrews two, uh, verse uh, eleven. For he who sacrifices and he those who are sacrificed all have one source, and that's why he is not ashamed. To call them brothers. That's us. Call us brothers. Call us family. It's not a shame. And then he quotes, a, the writer of Hebrews quotes this from Psalm, uh, I can't remember where, where it's from. Oh, Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And he's talking about Jesus singing praise for his brothers. You know who Jesus is singing for? I never thought of Jesus was singing. I don't know why. I know the Zechariah passage. He will exult over you. But never thought of Jesus just singing. I never thought of Jesus just going, praise God. I just started praise, praising God in song. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. I have all these sinners in my family. <laughs> like that's the kind of thing he's singing. About you and me. I've been saved for that love. <laughs> that's... Guys, I, I had to share that. It's so tender, isn't it? I, I, I never had this idea that Jesus looked at First Press or looked at this church and just went, oh, I gotta sing. I wonder what he's singing. 
I hear singing and there's no one there. Anyway, it's an old song. Only a few of you would have gotten that reference. Jesus is singing over us. You know what that means? We must pursue the personal pronouns. If you look at the text, it is your salvation. It says it right there. It is the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, but the word, the personal pronouns there is stuck in there. It's your salvation. And, and, and tonight, and that, that's, that's, that's right out the gate, that's, you have to make it yours. I mean, you have to make it, and if it's not yours, you have to make it yours tonight. And if, and if it already is yours, you've got to make it more yours. You've got to have more of it. Make it yours more, more deeply, more earnestly, more sincerely, more completely your salvation. The only one way you're going to do that, I think. But let's take a look. Look how personal and owned it must be. Everything about God is a personal knowing. He is a person. He can only be known as a person. And the only way to know a person is personally. And if you do not know this person personally, you have no knowledge of God. It is that fact that is that blunt, is that, it is that immediate. And the reason I say it so bluntly, even if it hurts you, is because if you, it hurts you, you can, you can change that. <laughs> you can have a personal knowledge of God simply for the asking simply for the crying out, simply for the needing and saying, be my savior and save me from my wretched sins. Is Chris right? Is that really the message of the whole Bible from forever without error, without infallible story that Jesus loves sinners like, like the dirty ones, like me? Yeah. Yeah. Get on board. Put your trust in him. Call out on him today enact and react you know it's funny and i'll encourage this and because I, I sometimes i think some of you listen to this later uh, but i believe and i pray for everyone here by name except for my dear sister in the back because i knew she was coming but i'm praying right now in my heart hey. <laughs> but but um if you have a sense in your heart of movement towards God that you should make a decision like this and that you should move towards crying out to him and really move, make a decision for him and you have a sense of it in your heart but you have something pulling you back, if you have those experiences, those are very common for people who are very close to coming to Christ. I remember those very same feelings when I was only eight years old. I felt a compelling need to go. I wanted Jesus to be my Savior. But something was pushing me back. I kept thinking, wow, I'll wait, I'll wait till next week. I, wait till next, I did that week after week. I wait till next week. I don't want to go up to that altar. That's embarrassing. Let me encourage you. If you sense God at work, respond. I think that's something to get excited about. It's something I want to, it's something I want to say to Arnoff, for example, or, or to other people. That I'm, it's something I said to Colin this week. I've been sharing the gospel. I've had wonderful, wonderful power to share the gospel lately, and I'm really thankful. But I want to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to make that transition. You've heard it before, but knowledge of the Bible and knowledge of the gospel is not the same as agree- an agreement is not the same as trust. It just isn't. Trust is a wholehearted commitment. You know, and it's, it's such an old chestnut. I've, I've used it for so many years, but you know, this pew looks pretty sturdy. And I could tell you, I believe it will hold me, or I think it will hold me, or whatever. But you can say you don't trust it. You don't tr- I don't trust it until I do what? This is the way that Jesus is the same way. And, and, and mere ascent, mere knowledge of these truths. And you may have been in church your entire life and not yet made that motion. It happens. And it happens to elders. It happens to everyone. It does happen. It does happen. 
So I'm, I guess it, because look, when did the translate? When did the? When, by the way, when did the? Uh, when did the? Uh, all this was uh, all that illustration right there on the pew was meant to illustrate the word believed in the next clause. Sorry, I should have referred to the Bible before I gave all that illustration. But how about those of you know, who know God? Let's end with this one. For those of you who do know God, there's um, uh, the song I love to tell the story was very, very important to me as a child. We don't sing it. We don't sing it here, I don't think. Um, and it, one of those things we don't sing it, it's just a little, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not as popular as it used to be. But I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, Jesus and his love. And then there's a phrase, and I, I always caught my heart. I, I, I love to tell the story for those who know it best. They seem like they're hungry and thirsting to hear it like the rest, to hear it anew, to hear it with fresh force and power. And I don't know about you. I, this is the point at which I want to I get you to, to, really, to really pursue the pronoun by just, by just being in your Bibles, like just, just doing the hard work. You know, you know I, I, a lot of this, you know, it's interesting. Paul goes right to thankfulness. He becomes thankful right away. I think thankful energy in the Christian life is based upon a knowledge of the Bible. Because when you know your Bibles, you know the gospel. You know the good news. And you know these characters, one right after another. Gosh, Abraham's a knucklehead. Moses is a murderer. David kills for sex. (laughs) But they're all saved. You learn the good news is what? Jesus came to save sinners, like the nasty kind, like you and me. You need, and you won't know that until you get in here, <laughs> until you're in it, and you're in it, and you're up to your eyeballs. You know, a lot of you are just going to resist me and not, not read your Bibles, and, and you're hard in your heart against it. And I, I know you, you've been there before, and you're like, oh, it just gets boring, oh, I don't seem relevant, oh, and you're not trusting God, you're not just trusting and a sweet dependence on him like you should as he's calling you to. As he's calling you and beckoning you to hope, to joy, and to knowledge of him. So, you know, like, I just want to grab you and be like, ah, ah, get, you know, I want to. But I always wonder how am I ever going to get anybody to read their Bible? Christians can be so stubborn about it. And then I think, I'm going to end with this. Something has been precious for me. Um, and that is uh, I wish I included the previous verse now because uh, he first is, there's something about you know God calls us to not to remember our first love for him and I I, I, uh, I, I want to call you to that I wanna, and, but I, I want to do a little more than that I want you to, I want you to ask God I want you to ask our father to, to, to renew your first love. I want you to do something a little differently. He, was, he chose you. He made a choice for Clayton before the foundations of the world. God moved first. He did. He moved first towards you. He was first towards Ted. He was first towards Jack. Towards me. He's always going first. and That's what election is. He went first. He chooses. <sighs> So I was praying the other day, and I said, Father, 
I want to remember my first love. Will you remember yours? See, we're allowed to ask God to remember his promise. Promises that his bride would be first in his heart. Promises that he would bring conviction. Promises he would give the Holy Spirit so we could understand our Bibles and we could see the gospel. He would give us the Holy Spirit so we could believe. So we'd have a gift of faith. And I find myself in this place where I just want to, I want to cry out, remember your first love, Father. And that we can remember ours. Remember your promises to us. Jesus came to save sinners. You promised. Even the very worst of them. The ones who preach. It is the holiest and best of truths. Jesus saves. You know, the yearning for old-time religion can be the revival of artifacts, right? I want the old-time religion. But it seems to me, yearning for the old-time works of God, described in the way he loved the sinners of this book, that's what I want. I want this old-time religion from the Scripture. I want that old-time power of God that he loved us. I don't, want this, I don't want the experience of God as a church and his grace and his glory and his salvation to be locked away in words. I want it to, I want it to happen. <laughs> you and me. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious and you are good and you are king. And we thank you that you speak words of life to sinners. You don't, you don't turn up your nose. You don't, you don't, you don't, cringe, you don't, you don't walk away, you don't shake your head, you don't sigh. You love. And you, you came to us first. And we, we kind of need that first work of you again in this age, it seems. But we ask for the, the old-time religion of Paul, what you did when he saw what he loved. The way you worked on him so he could see how the whole Bible was the gospel of salvation. And it was his, and he owned it, <laughs> plus to own it. Help us to take these words tonight and have new courage, have new, new interest in the Bible. If anybody listening to my voice is, is feeling an inward tug to, 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 to trust Jesus tonight, Father, would you, would you draw that person along? into your love. Help them, help them to answer. And uh, for those of you, you know, the old, the old buzzards, the old buzzards in Jesus who have just been around Jesus for so long they've forgotten what joy was like. That's me, Father. Well, renew, renew my joy. Renew our joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Looking and asking and seeking for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen.